Okay, okay, welcome to the big kickoff. Uh, it's the 28th of June. Right, let's get this one out of the way. For the first time in 30 years, Liverpool Football Club have won a league title. With Chelsea taking all three points off Manchester City last week, it handed the Merseyside Club their first Premier League trophy and their 19th title in total. Dave, as a Liverpool fan, try and sum up what all this means to you. Well, I have to correct you to start off, Shano, because I've been humbled within a minute of uh, the match finishing on Thursday that it's only our first title because football only started in 1992 uh, when the Premier League began and we're only as good as Leicester and Blackburn. So I'm very sorry for the older 18 fake titles that we won before. <laughs> it's going to be like that, is it? Yeah, I'm only joking. Literally, the game hadn't finished and the United fans, oh, it's disgraceful. How, how, who, wins a, who wins a title in June? I'm like, Jesus, lads, you could just say well done and leave me alone because I don't really <laughs> care. I, I'm happy in my own bubble here. But, I'm not sure it, it was just United fans. <laughs> oh, to anyone, because obviously we're the worst fans in the world and the whole lot, but... Uh, yeah, Jesus, mate, the, the, the way has been, has been long. And then it made longer still because obviously come the start of March, we, kinda, we were all able to relax a little bit and say, yeah, it's, it's in the bag now, happy days. And then everything that's happened, we know. And then, of course, uh, there, was a, there was a period there around mid, mid-April where we all thought this, it's over now and it's, we're going to have to just get on with life and football. I'll have to take a back seat. So it was, there was very strong uh, re- um, reality that was going to be null and voided but then obviously it's come back and so yeah it's it's a strange win uh, it's a win that we'll all take but very strange one but uh not necessarily in the circumstance we wanted but it, you'll take it all the same so happy days and it's good to see the scenes of the boys in their in their local hotel they got together for a barbie and yeah there's still some videos coming out today and also no great crack great to sit back in, in the glory of it because it's it's been that long i wouldn't know what it felt like you know yeah with uh Liverpool scoring 70 goals this year. The front three, Mane, Firmino and Salah, they have scored 40 of those 70 goals. Spread them out, 15, 8 and 17. Firmino with the 8. It's just, it's a a great unit up there, isn't it? It's a great front three. It's a great front three, but as you said there, 70 goals, not only 40, but 40. So there's another 30 that's come from the team, which we probably couldn't have said like that in previous years. It's been very much heavily reliant on, on, on the lads. And especially Salah's first uh, time he scored over 30-odd goals, I'd say the percentage of goals from the tr- front three would have been even higher. And as much as the front three are the catalyst, um, it's very much the fact that we're a unit. It's a team, 1-11, to 11, that slowly come together. That's the biggest driving force, I think, for our team. Because, yes, City might have one or two players which we'd all dream of, but... As an 11, I wouldn't take anyone else. And I think a lot of people would say the same. Yeah, I, I, well, we're just going to come to that point about the goal right. spread throughout, throughout the team. I mean, the likes of Van Dijk scored four, uh, Trent yeah. three, Wijnaldum three, Henderson three, Oxley three, Origi three, Fabinho, Milner two. And there's a whole host of ones, including yeah. Joel Matip. It just shows you the team... It, they're all the way through the season. They have been a great attacking force but, and a, a great defensive force, working together just as Klopp always wanted his teams to work as a team. Well, 100%. And most of what I've said to my mates and yourself and even on our show, it's, it's almost 
the work they do off the ball is almost more satisfying because us mere armchair fans, one of the basic things we can always grasp is if our team is giving it everything. Um, and hence, that's what pisses us off the most. And one thing about Liverpool, you can never say they don't give it at all. And even, as I said before on the show against, against Barcelona over the 180 minutes, there was a passage of play in the new Camp where off the ball, it was just we, we almost made Barcelona look a bit ordinary, playing a few balls outside, uh, uh, off the pitch. And we've done it again this year where, you know, we camp in a, in a team's half for a couple of minutes and you just can't get out. And you know the goal's going to come or you know the mistake's going to come. And it's great to watch a team giving it everything, even if it's not on the pretty side of things. They do it on the ugly side as well. Tom, what has Klopp brought to Liverpool? And what he has brought... Can he continue to, to, to bring that success? I think he's bought, I think the biggest thing he's bought is passion back into the club to that re obviously the fans were such a huge importance to Liverpool. But the managers previously, you look at Roy Hodgson, you look at Brendan Rodgers is probably a little bit of an exception, Rafa Benitez, but Klopp just brings that passion. He brings that connection between the fans, manager and players, rather than just the players and the fans. He's probably that missing link. He's probably been one of their greatest signings really, for Liverpool in the last few years, if you think about what he's achieved. Europa League final, Champions League final, Champions League winner and now Premier League winner. But I, so I think he's, just, he's brought passion back to, to Liverpool as a club, I think, really. They have that winning, winning mentality now because obviously he's, he's, Klopp's a born winner. He destroyed the Bundesliga over bringing Dortmund up through the ranks and he started to do, you started to see a few changes of how he's trying to Liverpool to do something like that. Um, but where they go from here, I think it's probably squad squad depth they now need. I, like, I don't know who you want to bring in, but it's now squad depth. They have that starting 11 uh, and they have a few interchangeable players. But for a front three, if any of those front three, like you said, 40 goals, if one of them gets injured, who do you bring in? I can't see Shakiri, a great player, but I can't see him uh, emulating the likes of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane. Peter, can you see Liverpool going on now and dominating English football or is English football so strong now with different teams up in the top six that it's likely to swap hands year after year? It's a good point that, Roy. Personally, I don't think they're going to be dominating English football, uh, which is going to probably upset Dave. Apologies about that. Um, but no, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, the reason being, you, you've hit the nail on the head. The Premier League is so strong, Roy, and it's just getting stronger. Um, yes, you know, take nothing away from Liverpool this season. They thoroughly deserve to win it. Uh, anybody will tell you that. But next year... You can well. I can tell you now. Manchester City are just going to get stronger. Chelsea, remember, <laughs> they've already signed some quality players. And to be perfectly frank with you, I don't think it's going to stop there. Certainly, more to come as well. And there's going to be other sides as well that are going to really uh, try and outbid Liverpool and everything. So I, I, I it, you know, let's be honest. The side that Klopp has got it, it is a thoroughly good side. There's no two ways about it. Uh, going back to Tom's point, strengthening-wise, squad-wise, yes, obviously, at some point, that's going to have to happen before the start of next season. But I just feel that the Premiership is so, so strong with so many sides that, 
are going to be there or thereabouts. And remember, all right, Liverpool blew everybody away this season. Next season, I think it's going to be much, much tougher for them to defend it. Because remember, Roy, uh, it's great to win a premiership, but it's even harder to defend it. And if you can defend a premiership, then you are talking about the fact that that side could dominate English football for quite a few years to come. Uh, so I think next season is going to be a massive test for Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, you're a Manchester United fan, as we know. Don't mind it. Don't mind it. How many Manchester United players would fit in the starting eleven of that Liverpool team? Oh, God. Um, not many, I have to say. Not many. Like, you look at like the two goalkeepers. Alisson's the better keeper out of the two. Across the back, Trent's the better right-back. Van Dijk. Easily in this in the centre halves, Joe Gomez as well. Andy Robinson, the better left back. Jeez, I'll tell you something. I think we're struggling to get anybody in there. To be honest with you, I think maybe. I put your head on a plate there. I think maybe. Bruno? Yeah, Bruno will be the one for me. Maybe it's squeezing there at the moment. Probably take out. I'm not a big fan of Jordan Henson. I know he's had a very good season, and he's like he really has stepped up his game the past couple of years in particular. But I think, yeah, how do you know, especially United starting 11, I think Bruno probably the only one you squeeze in. As good as Rashford is, like that fun tree for Liverpool is just untouchable at the moment, especially in the league. Like, so, yeah, I think Bruno's the only one for me that squeeze into that Liverpool team. Yeah. Uh, funny you should bring up Jordan Henderson. Dave, there's been a huge wave of support since the new year to give oh. Jordan Henderson the Player of the Year award. So we've kind of looked into the stats uh, versus his teammate Virgil Van Dijk. So just give me—I'm going to throw out a few stats and then we just discuss it. Pass completion: Virgil Van Dijk is the first in the Premiership for pass completion. Ninety percent of the passes, high, highest amount of passes completed, two thousand seven hundred and two. Jordan Henderson is fifteenth with one thousand six hundred ninety-eight-three percent shooting. Virgil Van Dijk has had twenty-five shots, four goals. Henderson seventeen shots, three goals. Dribbling uh, against him, so he's won 40% of his, of his challenges with players dribbling against him. Henderson's 38. Putting pressure on a player to win a ball, 36.2% for Van Dijk, 32.1% for Jordan Henderson. Tackles, Jordan Henderson has won more tackles. He's won 35 out of his 62, while Verde Van Dijk has only had 28 tackles and won 19. But he ha- that calculates up to a 68% win rate compared to... Jordan Henderson. So, in my eyes, I failed to see where Jordan Henderson has made such a huge improvement, especially over his teammate, Virgin van Dijk, to win a Player of the Year trophy. Was this just something people were getting excited and he's the captain and, and, and they just wanted to, to... It was on a wave, more or less. Um, I think, as we've seen over the last few years, to be honest, Roy, that... It, there's almost campaigns now for players and yeah. whoever started this I'm, I've no idea but you know yourself it starts as a whisper and then all of a sudden yeah let's buy into this and the drum gets louder and louder probably being homegrown probably being English helps as well so the media get into it a bit more over say a, a Dutch centre half um, so it could be more of a campaign trail more so than actually genuine does he deserve to be the one and um, one or two of the stats now I wouldn't be too concerned because Liverpool would obviously dominate the ball a lot and a lot of it would end up in the back line going from side to side. So I think the top three touches 
in in the Premier League are three of Liverpool's backline. So it's nothing to get overly excited about in, in that sense, one or two of them stats, especially the passing ones. But he's not far away in some of them. And being the fact that you're in midfield, you're going to make more mistakes. It's a bit more of a, it's the, it's the, it's the heartbeat of the game. Um, I wouldn't be overly concerned by one or two of them. But uh, yeah, I was a bit surprised when his name started coming up. But at the same time, Awards nowadays, as we've alluded to a few times now, they do become a bit of a campaign trail. Somebody started it and just kept it going, potentially. Is he a, is he a very improved player? Without a shadow of a doubt. But uh, I wouldn't stick my neck out and say he deserves it, to be honest. He's, he's a great he captain and a great leader. But Is he the best player that Liverpool have had this season? Um, I find it very hard to stick my neck out and put him at the very, very top. I do, but I would struggle to put anyone really because to be honest it's very much the safe option but I, I can't emphasize just how strong the team is by itself to be honest now in saying that you could say the likes of Salah could be a big a big uh, difference because look at the difference between last uh, Sunday and Wednesday when himself and Andy Robertson came back and there was the true balance back in the team it was night and day because I was a bit worried actually because Liverpool were so poor last week and then of course on Wednesday they were it was like not never there was no, there was no uh, gap. It was very much uh, carry on with the same business. So you could probably maybe go with the, the front line. But then again, we always give it to the front line. So yeah, maybe us defenders should bring up, bang up, uh, bring up the union and maybe pitch for the likes of Van Dijk and what have you. But I've yeah. been a bit of a criticism, critic of him, so I can't exactly say him myself. Yeah, well, I, 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 I can't see anyone else but a Liverpool player winning it because I don't think yeah. anyone else. No, they will out. get it. Yeah, and. And, I, and you know myself, I, I hate these awards anyhow. I think, as you said, a popularity <laughs> contest and yeah. uh, nonsense. But yeah. Van Dijk has stood out. I mean, he's he's made the difference. Him and Alisson probably have made the difference for them going yeah. forward. But he's 100%. been a calming presence for the whole team. Like Liverpool have a steal now. Now, I don't mean a steal as in old school, like because they, you, that, that, that style of football is not there anymore. But there is a bit of a steal on that side now where right through the middle from goalkeeper to to centre-halves to, uh, and straight up the middle. Like, we, we have a spine again. And, it, like, one of the interesting ones there, it was very small. I can't remember which stat it was. only gone 28 tackles or something. And half of that reason could be forwards are avoiding Van Dyke because he has that mystique. And there is that kind of thing about him that you don't go near him because you don't get past him. So, he has that aura about him as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't give out if he got it. But, you know, defenders tend not to get it, as we all know. But yeah. just to go back, just to finish my little finishing part, because as I noticed, and it's just to kind of um, reiterate a bit, my, like what Tom said and the passion, like he very, Klopp very much gets it. Um, and as you, as we all know, as football fans, a lot of us are have a lot of time for what he says and what he does. And there was one thing that I missed uh, when they played United. They showed a little montage in the Liverpool Channel on Thursday night kind of throughout the season. And we just bet United and the fans are really giving it both barrels with the whole, they're hardly going to believe us, we're going to win the league. And Klopp was kind of cupping his ear to them and kind of half kind of telling them to ramp it up again. But then they showed an interview after the game and he basically said, between me and the players, we both take on the role of and the responsibility of the dreams of millions. And you're kind of going, geez, that's my manager saying that. That's what you want to hear. But he means it, you know what I mean? He really does mm. get himself into it and puts the link between us, him and them not necessarily that we're all one. I'm not going to get that into it, but he knows the role that this is a big club and there's a lot of people who want that and you just can't beat that. And the same thing then, just to hammer it home then on the Friday morning, 
obviously looking a bit worse for wear in Anfield. He's been interviewed and he mentioned the guard of honour and he had no idea what it was and it was explained to him and he goes, oh, okay, and is that in every way ground? And he said, I don't know, maybe. And he just laughed because he just thought it'd be hilarious. But he just said, yeah. look, I don't care. I've no control over it, but we're going to go out and play as if we haven't won anything at all. And you're like, ugh, like, it's not even 24 hours and he's already kind of going, don't worry, we're going to show up and give and give our fans a, a match to, to watch. So he gets it, you know, and he, like that's what fans want to hear their manager t- uh, saying, you know what I mean? And especially the fact that he's from Germany, it's a second language. He, 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 he pretty much hits the nail on the head every time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's sickening how much we like them, I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, go on, we'll leave Liverpool there, all right? Sure, yeah. I, I could talk a bit more, no? <laughs> let's, let's, let's just hope they don't win too much or the whole city be burned down. <laughs> <laughs> careful now, careful now, careful now. <laughs> okay, we do a bit of transfer talk. Peter, Declan Rice, there's a lot of talk about him this week. Yeah, very much so. Uh, a quality player for a very struggling side in West Ham. He's a 21-year-old what I, what I like about him and what obviously is tempting a lot of clubs in particular, uh, Chelsea ahead of the queue at the moment by far and away. And there's very strong word that uh, if he's going to go anywhere, uh, and the likelihood is he will be leaving West Ham, then Chelsea under Frank Lampard, who's been a massive fan of Declan Rice, that looks like where he will be heading, actually. It probably cost them about £50 million. Uh, Apparently West Ham want more, but then... West Ham always want more whenever they want to try and sell a player, which is understandable. But realistically, he's not going to get anywhere at West Ham. If he goes to Chelsea, he will fit ideally in there. Uh, Frank Lampard in particular wants him to play as a centre-back instead of his normal favourite position, which is a, a defensive midfield player. And the thing with Declan Rice is, apart from the fact he's a quality young player, uh, in particular, he's very versatile and... Uh, I think that's the idea why Frank Lampard specifically is, if he can get him, he will slot him into that back four. So Chelsea, remember, have got money. They've already bought quality players and I'm sure there's going to be more to come as well. So Declan Rice to Chelsea is looking very much on. Yeah, I've said that before. I've written about it before, but Manchester United last year, I thought they should have bought him in as a centre-back because I thought he, I think he is a better centre-back than he is a central midfielder and he obviously has the attributes to be able to pass to be calm and a good defender so if Chelsea get him and have him at centre-half he's better than what they have in centre-half in my opinion and that, I think that would be a good sign and Tom a little bit of transfer talk yeah, we're going across the pond to Europe. Um, Barcelona and Juventus uh, for swap deals between the Barcelona midfielder Arthur, 23-year-old, and Miralem Pjanic of Juventus, who is heading towards Barcelona. I did see that it had been confirmed, actually, recently. I know they've had their medicals and all of them, so I think that deal could be going through. But um, as a pure swap deal, but I think Juventus are paying Barcelona an extra 10 million euros as well for the deal to go through. Um, Mm. I don't know if it's a good deal or not. For Barcelona, I don't think so. Pjanic hasn't had a great season um, under Maurizio Sarri, but he's 30-year-old Pjanic compared to Arthur, who's 23. I think Barcelona might be letting a bit of a gem go in that midfield. I think they might regret Mm. regret their decision. in a couple of seasons' time, but that's that's the news anyway. That they're, they're swapping clubs. Um, I think Arthur actually flourished in Syria. He didn't actually want to go, 
Um, he had to have quite a bit, quite a bit convincing from the Italian side, but the deals are going through. But I do think Barcelona had a bit of a stinker there in that one. Yeah, um, yeah. I did. I did see a picture up there today. Someone was comparing or wondering why Sarri would want Arthur, and there was a picture of him puffing away in a cigarette. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're going to be buddies there. But what do Juventus actually need to be able to take that extra step to win a Champions League again? I don't know. I don't know what they need. Um, I think they. Need, I think they're a bit like Man City, aren't they? Uh, as in. They play so well in the league, and then when it comes to Champions League, they kind of choke a little bit. I don't know if they believe in themselves or they don't ever go in with the right mentality to win to kind of feel like they can win a Champions League. They have the team. If you look at look at their strength in depth, kind of throughout the team, they have a solid core of a spine, and they have have the wipers. They have Cristiano Ronaldo now, so they have no excuse really. But I think it's mentality when they go into a game. I think they're a bit like Manchester City. They kind of they lose themselves in the occasion when they come up against bigger, big European sides. Yeah, yeah. I I always thought it was the front man that was a problem. Then Ronaldo went there, and and, and that didn't spur them on. But their midfield does chop and change an awful lot. So maybe maybe Arthur's going to be a missing link for them. Well, this season so far, he hasn't played huge amounts, but when he does, he's had a ninety-two percent pass completion. So if if you they keep the they they typically have the fast wing so if Arthur's Arthur can use that passing passing kind of range then he could be quite a big key player in that midfield especially at a holding role yeah no that's something to look forward to there too uh, Dave a little bit comments from Klopp about Sancho yeah like it's, it's a mixture of two opinions where you kind of think maybe there's a potential depth in it in relation to Sancho who has been rumoured for here, there and everywhere for the last few months that he's going to come back into English football. Um, but basically Dortmund have kind of started to come out that they're quite confident he's going to stick around for a year. And obviously Klopp has been on the media trail for the last few days talking to everybody. And he was talking to the well-known German paper and Bild. And he mentioned, he usually swats away stuff. And he kind of goes, it's not my, pro- it's somebody else's club. Yeah, they're good players. He moves away. But he's very much, he said the interesting line that he thinks Sancho would look very, very well in red, um, but he also said if he ends up at Liverpool this season, I'd be very, I'd be the one, I'd be the most shocked. So unless it's a bit of a, he knows something more than we do. He, he, in a, a potential marriage of the two, that yes, it won't be this season, but it may be next season. So that's where you could kind of get the rumor mill kind of cranked up a notch, or else he knows he's going to United and he thinks he looks good in red anyway. <laughs> yeah, and um, of course we've talked about. Are. We've talked about the possibility of Mane being lured away from Madrid. So yeah. Maybe that's a deciding factor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And if they are going to stick around this year, maybe it's a case of, you know, the way Liverpool just kind of just come out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night, boom, this deal is done. You're like, where did this come from? So it could be either one of these we have them for next year or we'll, we'll, we'll just keep them on, a, on a, tight, a tight leash at the minute to see if they can hold on to the front three. But. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's just a, it's just a slight change in language usually from Klopp, if you know what I mean. So it'll be a little a little interesting. Uh, from one man who likes to talk about Liverpool, likes to talk about the League of Ireland a lot. What's your transfer news, Nathan? <laughs> uh, my transfer news is um, that Imfish Town have confirmed that they are very interested in St. Patrick's athletic defender Luke McNally. Uh, 
McNally signed, he only recently signed a two-year deal, actually, uh, with St. Pat's at the start of the season, after a successful loan spell with Drottery United last year. Um, but it's going to be a bit more complicated now, because St. Pat's have temporarily laid off all their players and staff, thanks to COVID-19. But it doesn't really make McNally a free agent. He's still technically followed, so he can't just come in and swoop him away straight away. There's still going to have to be a fee agreement between Imswich and St. Pat's. Um, I think it might be a good move for the lads. Like, again, I'm a St. Pat's fan, and I would hate to see him go because I thought he would have had a big season this season in Richmond Park. But um, like, Imswich have a good manager. Like, Paul Lambert is the manager there at the moment, good experienced manager. And the first choice centre back, uh, Luke Wolfenden, uh, I believe his name is, is expected to leave and move up to the championship. So it could be an open slot there available for him if he does want to decide to leave. But the only thing that might slow him down a little bit is I was looking at some uh, local websites over in Inswich, and a lot of the journalists are saying that he'll actually go into the under 23s, he won't go into the senior squad to start off. So that might sort of charm a little bit because the standard for playing League of Ireland at under 23 is like he's better off staying in the League of Ireland and uh, with a full time club and getting that little bit more notoriety yeah. than he would if he just went to an academy. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But um, I'd like to see him stay, but come here, you, you, you wouldn't begrudge the kids to go away, you know, and hope and try, uh, try better himself over in England. And what type of, what type of player is he? He's a national centre half, which rather he did play as a left back too. He's a, he's only twenty, so he's still pretty skinny and but he's very long and lanky and awkward, but technically very good in the ball. He's really calm and for a lad that isn't the most bulkiest in the world, he's pretty aggressive too and he likes a header, he likes a challenge. But he's, he is this sort of like new age centre half, you know, where he likes to get the ball on the ground and pick out a pass and he's pretty calm with the ball at his feet. Instead of just getting the ball and hoofing it off the pitch, or just loving a crunch and tackle. So um, I think he might, yeah, he, he could still England a little bit. You know, he'll have to get a little bit bigger to deal with the physicality of the game over there. But yeah, I think um, I think it could suit him. I think he has the, all the abilities and the attributes to do well if he goes away. Okay. Uh, well, despite numerous meetings with the FAI and the League of Ireland clubs. They still have no plans in place for a return to football, which probably leaves it as the last top-tier league, I suppose, in the whole planet, not to have made a decision. What's the hold-up, Nathan? A little fun uh, start to start off. Only Ireland and Moldova are the two leagues in Europe and have no solid plans of starting. But yeah, you were told that uh, Friday was gone was the deadline for clubs to come up with a decision on the format of the league going forward. Friday has come and gone, and we're still waiting. Still no news at the moment. The biggest issue seems to be around uh, promotion and relegation from the Premier Division to the Fourth Division. Uh, a lot of the clubs have agreed and they're ready to go. A lot of the clubs have actually even returned to train. But you have certain clubs down the lower end of the table that they've come out and said that the proposed 18 game season that's scheduled to go ahead on, when I schedule it's penciled in as a date to go ahead on the 24th of July simply isn't long enough. 18 games isn't enough to fairly fight off relegation. And that these teams think that uh, relegation should just be scrapped this season completely. So just continue on the league with no relegation, no promotion. Uh, the club that's rumoured to be, be like, pretty vocal in this argument is uh, Waterford, Florida Rovers, Cork City and my own St. Pat's. With the St. Pat's owner, Garrett Kelleher, being particularly vocal on the issue. 
but the FBI have pretty much clamped down and said, look, they want to get the league back up and running. And uh, any clubs that are refusing to return to football will face uh, instant relegation down to the fourth division. And they'll bring up fourth division teams that take their places uh, in the Premier Division. So, well, I just had to wait and see now. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty frustrating as a fan, you know. Like, I think every week I'm on here saying we'll have to wait and see, we'll have to wait and see. But the word is that there will be some news announced during the week. But it's pretty tough, you know. It's frustrating to see that it's um, pushed out and pushed out. And it's just pretty embarrassing for the league and for the, every club and for the FEI. And for once, like, you know, I'm usually on here giving out about the FEI, but yeah. it's not an FEI. Uh, it's not really their fault. It's down to the clubs that are refusing to tear a tone and refusing to go back into action. So I think, for lack of a better term, I think someone in the FEI needs to have the balls to make a decision and to impose their own structure into because the season. at some stage, Nathan, Dundalk were looking for the league to be restarted. Yeah. A lot of teams are just looking out for themselves rather than that. And uh, looking to again. So is this something that is there a chance that the league could be scrapped and you just start again next year? I don't think so. I think that talks have advanced too much for the league to be scrapped. I think a lot of probably a lot of promises have been made to clubs, you know, like with the uh, with that forty million the the government payout scheme and everything being coming into play. Like so the financial uh, structure is in place. So I don't I think we are too far far gone to scrap the league completely. But I just, I really do think now is the time for the FEI to step in and say, look, we gave us a chance to agree as clubs on 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 a former. We haven't done that. We've given you more than enough time to do so. So now here's your own structure, and here's what's going to happen going forward. So I think that's what has to happen in the next couple of days, personally. Yeah, I I can't see how how a league could go through season and not have relegation. What have first division teams have to say about this? That's what like, these are the ones that are affected the most. Like so we can expect forced division teams to go through a whole season fighting for practically nothing. That's what they're fighting for. It's promotion up to the top division. So they're spending all this money on a match day. They're not getting much money. Like that that uh, weekly income of a match day is probably going to be gone if people aren't allowed into the if like a full set of fans aren't allowed into the stadiums. So they're practically fighting for nothing. So there's no like prize at the end of the road for these fourth division clubs. Which is pretty understandable. You can see the frustration on their part. Like they're waiting on these room with four clubs in the Premier Division to make a decision and get it together. So like you can really understand the frustration of the fourth division clubs. The grass courts of Wimbledon were due to be open this week and Peter, we're gonna miss it. Yeah, we are most definitely. Uh tennis fans, not just in this country, around the world actually, will Roy. It, it's it's tradition, isn't it? Uh, this time yeah. uh, normally for two weeks. People, uh, if they're lucky enough and fortunate enough to uh, get tickets or failing that queue up outside Wimbledon all night or even for a day or so just to get some action in centre or number one court, it's going to be a massive, massive uh, loss for everybody concerned, actually, Roy. Yeah, but unfortunately, tennis has gone the way of so many big events uh, this year. And uh, I'm afraid everyone's going to have to wait another year until they can make their annual trek to Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. Dave, uh, an all-time classic. Any classics that you enjoyed? Oh, I'm glad you came to me for it because I just had this fear that Peter would rob it. Because like, <laughs> you know, uh, Henman Henman Ivanisevic, 2001 semi-final. Was that it, Peter? No, it wasn't. No, 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 no. No. Um, a three-day belter. <laughs> Obviously, the reason why it was for three days is because of the rain. 
but basically Hemming every year, you know, kind of a top 10 player, but never was ever going to really break the, the real elite, as in the league three or four. But he defeated Roger Federer in the quarterfinal, but he always brought that extra five or 10% uh, come Wimbledon time. And you couldn't help but get into backing him Tiger team and the underdog. And he always showed up for Wimbledon and he pulled off some great, and all his uh, games tended to be five setters and nail biters. But even Izovic would have been a bit of a, a long-term hero as well at Wimbledon. And he, he came in on a wild card that year and obviously he famously won the tournament. But it was over three days. Hemman was definitely in the ascendancy. He, uh, the third set, he, would, he went 2-1 up, two sets to one up after the third set. And he won it in 15 minutes and it's 6-0. And then he was 2-1 up in the fourth and then the rain came again. And then, unfortunately, that was enough for even Eastwich to come back in and he won the tie break in the fourth. And then it, it started on the Friday, didn't finish till the Sunday. That was the year um, uh, Wimbledon finished on the Monday because of the weather and it opened up. So basically whoever was going to win that semi was potentially going to win it. So that's why it was so big because uh, Agassi and Sampras were gone. Obviously Federer was only on the way up. So And Henman always had a good record in them days. So it wasn't the biggest shock at that time for people in the know. But it was kind of... It was the it was the best of both worlds. It was the local hero, but also the kind of a fan's favourite. So it was it was one of them epic semi-finals, and obviously with the with the weather made it last as long as it did for three days. But it was it was a great topsy turvy game where it looked done and dusted, and then the weather came, and then even 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 Isovich was able to take the uh, the advantage of it, and then famously won the final. Yeah, unfortunately for poor old Tim, that was probably his limit. He 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 gave everything, yeah. and he was never really gonna better what he, he did and it must have been slightly sickening that he probably thought he was going to go on to do it and then Andy Murray went on a few years later I suppose yes. to do it and I'm sure everyone was urging him on but there you yeah. go that he hadn't got it in him okay Tom uh, or Peter your Wimbledon favourite <laughs> oh dear I've got so many but I've been up all night <laughs> actually trying to narrow into one um it's a match I did see. Um, it goes back a long time. It was a first round match, Roy, at Wimbledon in 2010. It was the American John Isner against Nicholas Myatt. Now, most of those names probably aren't familiar as, uh, you know, even Izovich and people like that, Nadell, Federer, etc. But what made it so special was, like the uh, event that uh, Dave was mentioning, it was stretched over three days due to surprise, surprise rain at Wimbledon. But the actual match lasted an incredible 11 hours and five <laughs> minutes in total. Yeah, it was 6-4, uh, Up to then, it was fine. But then the in those days, of course, you never had tie breaks in the final set. So... The final set lasted an incredible eight hours and 11 minutes. Yeah, that was for a final set. 70-68, John Isner <laughs> eventually won. Yeah, and, and I, t I remember watching this on television because the cameras were saying, oh, I'm sure this match is going to finish. And of course, every time somebody broke, they kept with it so that they were thinking that that person would eventually go on and win it. He then lost his serve. And I, know, I remember it was carried over to, I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday. I can't remember the exact day now, because it was a long time ago. And eventually, uh, Isner, who looked absolutely flat out and exhausted, admittedly his opponent did as well, 
ended up winning this 70 68 it was a first round match and because of the weather conditions which made it even more amazing poor old john isner who as i say was completely out on his feet uh, in fact so much so that when somebody tried to interview him afterwards he could barely speak understandable um, the Wimbledon officials turn around to him, well, you do realise you've got to play a second round match late in the afternoon. Right. And I always remember that. And, and, and I can't remember, he, I remember he won. And that's what makes just that particular match so enthralling. It was just wonderful tennis. It was on an outside court as well. It wasn't on centre or number that's one. Right. It was one of the outside courts. Well, yeah, again, I can't remember what, what one it was. But I do remember, because of the way the schedule worked out, he still had to turn out late in the afternoon, play a second round match, and believe it or not, he won that. As it well. was against Marco Cidinelli. Sorry, say again. Marco Cidinelli. Ah, thank you very much. The Swiss Swiss international. Ah, uh, that's it, Tom. Yeah, brilliant. You've You've obviously got a better memory than me. Thank you. Google's a wonderful Google. thing. <laughs> ah, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, it was definitely value for money. I do remember the game myself. I didn't watch the whole thing. It was dragging out, all right. But yeah, no, I do remember uh, that game. It was, it was 138 games in that last set, I think. That's right. Yeah. Outrageous. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Tom, Battle of the Brits in tennis. Yes, there uh, has been some sort of tennis. It's not been quite Wimbledon. Um, but yeah, Battle of the Brits, which is uh, brought in by Jamie Murray. He uh, kind of helped get this up and running. He partnered up with Amazon Prime, which is where all the games have been played. Actually ended today. The winner was um, uh, Dan Evans, the n- British number one. He beat Carl uh, Edmund 6-3, 6-2 earlier today with um, Cameron Norrie coming third. Uh, Andy Murray was supposed to feature in that third place playoff game as uh, Andy Murray lost to Dan Evans. Um, uh, Dan Evans, yeah, um, who won overall. But uh, Andy Murray pulled out um, due to shin shin problems. Um, it was actually really good, uh, really good setup. They had um, two groups. They had eight, eight men singles players. And they were split into two uh, two groups, the Tim Henman group and the Greg Rosadeski group, uh, with four players in each. And then the top two went through to semi-finals, where obviously Andy Murray did get through. Um, Jamie was trying to actually schedule this before any coronavirus kind of pandemic. But this is just a one-off. The LTA uh, aren't really looking to actually continue this in the future just because of the ATP World Tour, such a packed-out schedule. Yeah. But, which is a shame, because it, it, it was raising money for um, the NHS charity. I think they managed to make about 100000 or a bit more than that, or well, that's what uh, Jamie Murray was donating anyway. But it's been a really good thing just to see all the Brits playing together and seeing Andy Murray back, obviously his first game since uh, November from the Davis Cup, where he went out with a pelvic injury. So it's great to see him. And he actually looked quite, from the games I saw, he looked quite sharp, especially in the semi-final where he actually went a set-up but ended up losing to um, Kyle, um, Dan Evans, uh, who eventually came back to win uh, 6-3 and 10-8, which is a shame. But it's good to see all the British players uh, back out there giving it a go. 
Yeah, I would not be surprised if something did come of it. Maybe every two years or something like that. They might squeeze it in if there was a decent amount of interest in it. Okay, a finishing story. We will start with Nathan. What have you got? So, I've seen that uh, Northern Ireland now have a new manager for their national team. And it's, Is he a uh, former Manfred. League of Ireland manager by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know what? Before we came on, I was like, Jesus, I'm very League of Ireland heavy tonight, even for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, right, he is a former League of Ireland manager. He'd be familiar to um, Sligo Robots fans in particular. He, uh, he got them to win the league title back in 2012. His name is uh, Ian Barraclough. He was the under-21s manager for Northern Ireland since uh, 2017, but has now uh, replaced another former League of Ireland manager, Michael O'Neill, who worked at Northern Ireland. He obviously now has left and gone to Stoke City back in November. Yeah, Ian Barclough has gone in uh, in the hot seat to say in uh, Northern Ireland. He's set to start now in September with two games in the National League, oh, sorry, the Nations League, in National Nations League. And that will be yeah. followed up by the boy of the Euro 2020 playoff semi-final against Bosnia in October. So yeah, Ian Barraclough, best of luck. And he has, of course, they, they did say, they did interview quite a few people. They did look for a bit of continuity and that's why they went with him. He has managed over in England, hasn't he? He has, yeah. He has, uh, his managerial experience isn't pretty long. He's only 46. I think he's 46 now at the moment. So he's relatively new to... Um, in a managerial game, but this will be a pretty big step up for him now, you know. But um, as you can see in the walk, like Michael, uh, Michael O'Neill made the um, made the step up from Shamrock Rovers up to the national team and got it down well, very successfully. So yeah, Ian Barraclough probably could do the same. Yeah, it's a great stepping stone for his career if he can if he can do as well as Michael O'Neill did there, and even Lordy Sanchez before that who got a great stepping stone. I think he got the Fulham job off the back of that. Uh, great opportunity for him. So, uh, yeah, we wish him luck. Peter, what have you got? Um, FA Cup, I mean, uh, obviously with the return of the Premiership taking centre stage, some people have forgotten about the FA Cup, but you hate it. Uh, uh, quarterfinals in particular, uh, going on this weekend, uh, semi-finals and final to come. Uh, all being squeezed in with a football calendar at the moment. And um, yesterday, obviously, Manchester United had to get to extra time to beat Notch. Um, at least it didn't go to penalties. But my point will be, and I think a lot of managers are beginning to realise this now, with the fact they've got to squeeze so many premiership matches left of the season. And with some of these matches, obviously, they're going to be pivotal in whether or not a side can stay up or get into Europe, etc. as well. Why on earth are we having to have extra time and then penalties? In my honest opinion, wouldn't it be easier, and I'm pleased to say a lot of managers are jumping on this as well, do away with extra time, let's go straight to penalties. You know, the the FA Cup now, unfortunately, is going to have to be uh, take second stage. I mean, to be fair, people can say it probably always has taken second stage, but even more so now. Uh, due to the fact we've got to get all these games in the next few weeks. I mean, some sides are ending up playing three games in about eight days. I know Dean Smith, for instance, has pointed that out, understandably so. And, of course, for Aston Villa, they are in a perilous position. We know that. But, in my opinion, you know, they've said all along, when it comes to FA Cup quarterfinals, uh, we don't want replays. Great. Fantastic. 
but we still got extra time and then penalties. I mean, all right, yesterday's game was settled in extra time, fair enough, true. But at the end of the day, I, to me, I just think it will be so much better for managers and players alike. And I don't think there'd be any argument from any team. I, I really don't, you know, do away with penalty. Uh, sorry, extra time. Let's go straight into penalties. Simple as that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit nonsensical to have water breaks uh, yeah. in either half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I give them a rest to make sure they don't get injured and then give them uh, extra time. So yeah, I think I think it's a uh, it's. I think they're doing it in Europe as well, Roy. I think they're I think they're going after ninety minutes straight to penalties, and I think that's why I took it for granted it was doing the same thing yesterday. So I was a little surprised there was extra time. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. Uh, but it's always good to talk about a competition that Liverpool can't win. So, uh, <laughs> Peter, <laughs> Peter uh, th- again, it comes down to the FA Cup where they always say that the top teams don't, they don't really look after it like they should do. And yet Manchester City look like they're going to go through. Chelsea, uh, who else? Manchester United. And who was the last Arsenal. one? Arsenal. 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 All the top Arsenal. teams are in those semi-finals again. <laughs> it, it's a, you know, this is the thing. I mean, to me, Roy, the beauty of the FA Cup is about the giant killing, isn't it, really? Um, yeah. But you're right, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these premiership sides start taking it seriously when they get to the quarterfinals and the semi-finals. Yes, there's a squad, can't they, understandably so, whereas the lower sides haven't got that luxury. No. And that's why it's very rare that you get anybody from outside the Premiership that eventually goes on even gets to a final in the FA Cup, let alone actually lift the FA Cup as well. Uh, and I think it's always going to be like that, Roy. It's as simple as that. You know, Who's the going FA to win Cup's it? going to be dominated by Premier League sides. Who's going to win it, Peter? Uh, Manchester City. Okay, well, you got that one wrong. Okay, Lost next one, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, yeah. what have we got? Uh, a former Chelsea, Real Madrid, and Bayern star is coming out of retirement yes. for post COVID 19 season. Uh, Iron Robin, 36 now, obviously retired last season, um, is actually reported to be training with Bayern Munich. Obviously, won uh, this year's German Championship, German League. Um, but he's coming out, he's been training with them to go back to play for his former club. I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong on this. Gro- Groningen in the Eredivisie in the Dutch league. Um, he last played for them 18 years ago. He debuted at 16 against Feyenoord, but he's coming back to uh, help their club out uh, after the coronavirus pandemic. So we wish Iron Robin well. And I've actually just seen that um, another former player might be coming out of retirement of Ronaldinho. Uh, if he ever makes it past his house arrest to go and yeah. play for Diego Maradona's um, Argentinian side Grim- Grimnasia um, after the coronavirus pandemic. So we could be having some big players coming back. It's something that you really want to see more of, isn't it? The, the big players who start off at the club should nearly always have to go back to the club that they started with to give them one final year. Yeah, it always seems to be Europe, other European players. Though. You never see any English players going back to their uh, boyhood. Yeah, Skulls always said he was going to go back to Oldham and all that kind of, and you, you always wish to happen. Yeah, they just ours just seem to buy buy uh, small clubs and take them through. To the, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who have we got, Dave? Dave, you're left. Ah, uh, um, 
I'll try and do it very quickly because I had one story and now it's kind of um, molded into three. But it was just a very brief one about the fact that Eddie Hearns confirmed his fight camp that we talked about a few weeks ago. There's five cards every Saturday for the month of August uh, outside his garden of a matchroom HQ. Um, a lot of best of British fights and real boxing experts that I've looked at over the last day or two saying a lot of cracking 50-50 fights. Um, but it's going to be in the culmination of the final weekend with Dillian White against uh, Alexander Povetkin. And obviously our own Katie Taylor is going to be on the card as well. And Eddie Hearns came out today and said he's pushing for Serrano. He has it done and dusted and signed and the contract, the purse, everything is the same. She's going to get what she wants. But he's also said his uh, plan B will be Delphine Pursuant, who would have, a lot of people thought, did the job against Katie Taylor in their fight. So that'll be a good final one that's going to be on Sky Box Office and the other four are just on standard Sky Sports. Then that sp- spilled into the next one, which happened overnight. Uh, Jarrell Big Baby Miller. A lot of us might not know who he is, but he's the guy who Joshua should have fought instead of Andy Ruiz and he failed a PD drugs test. He has now failed another one and everyone on their mother in the boxing game has come out now and said, enough's enough, he needs to be banned for life. But then a lot of people in the know said, sure, He'd be back within a year or two and he can do whatever he wants. So uh, a bit of a mad situation there that he's failed a second drugs test uh, uh, in, in, in the space of a year. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think if it's definitely something that should be brought in. There should be lifetime bans. Mm. You have to, has to be a deterrent for any of that yeah. sort of nonsense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then lastly, just because we brought it up a, a little bit, it's only happened in the last two or three hours, Roy. I don't know whether you've seen it on Twitter. But MTK Marbella, which was where it all kicked off for the previous company called MGM, which we've mentioned previously over the, their dark relationship with the, the criminal world and the Kinahan gang, uh, will be opening no more. Um, they're putting it down to the COVID-19 lockdown and they will be unable to open again. But Twitter's come alive going, yeah, you're just further distancing yourself from all ties, seen as all the other boxing, seen as the rest of the boxing world are doing the same now over the last, uh, the last week. So that's just come out in the last two to three hours that the their original uh, HQ back in Marbella it will be no more. Okay, and, and Tyson Fury distanced himself as well. That's right, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that looks like that is starting to crumble a little bit, but mm. uh, listen, a week's a long time. Who knows what's going to happen next week or the week after. So yeah, we will take a look at that again. Okay, lads, thanks very much, Tom, Nathan, Peter and Dave. Uh, look at thebigkickoff.com and have a read of a lot of great articles there. And we'll talk to you next week, lads. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Delia. <laughs> right, go on, we'll let you have that one. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, boys. Good luck. Talk to you. Take it easy. <laughs>